<laughs> Fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at our walk. The Bible describes the way we live out our Christian life as a walk. And uh, you and I in the book of Ephesians are challenged to walk in certain ways. We are to walk in good works. You remember that a few weeks back? We are to let God uh, do a work in us so that we might then uh, do good works uh, as he has foreordained that we should walk in them. We should walk worthy, not because we're trying to become worthy, but because we've been made worthy by Jesus Christ. We should walk as people who have been made worthy. Well, here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just uh, use your word now. God, that you would uh, challenge us with it, help us to grow through it. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, walk away from here with a desire to please you with our walk, with a desire to allow our walk to reflect the work that you are doing in our lives. And Father, we will thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a negative and a positive to uh, this message because this, I'm, we're just going to simply walk, if you'll allow me to, walk right through this, the rest of this chapter. And it starts out as a don't walk. It starts out as a thing that we're not supposed to do. Now, if you're like most of us, when somebody says don't, you know, it's like you're walking down the sidewalk and it says uh, keep off the grass. Immediately, you know, you're walking on the sidewalk just five seconds ago. Now you want to walk on the grass. I don't know what it is about it. You know, if it says wet paint, do not touch. Almost 100% of the time, you're going to touch it to see if it's still wet. And uh, then wipe it on the inside of your pocket so that nobody can see it, right? Uh, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's just, it is what it is. There's something about that negative that pushes us to rebel against what, what uh, we're supposed to do. Well, God's going to use this negative to start us out here. And he says for you and I not to walk as other Gentiles. Or the concept is this. Don't walk as if you're not saved. Don't walk as if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And he's going to describe to us what that looks like. We're going to kind of walk ourselves through it. And our challenge is to see where it is that we are walking the wrong way, all right, so that we might correct that, and he's going to walk us through the correction in just a moment. In the, the end of the verse, he says, in the vanity of their mind, and that's the first thing that starts out. If you and I are walking as if we are unsaved, then we're walking with the, according to the nothingness of our own, of our own thinking, right? Our own mind, and by the way, that word mind there is that same word as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. I thought it was that understood word concept. It's really talking about the way we feel, all right? So when, when you and I are living our lives based on how we feel, we are walking through our Christian life as if we're not saved. Well, I don't feel like, well, who cares what we feel like, right? That's not relevant, uh, I don't feel like what? I don't feel like talking to somebody about Jesus. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like going to church. You know, so uh, guess what? Welcome to life. You know, this is what it is to live. But you and I as Christians are empowered by God to go beyond how we feel, to conquer our feelings and to submit ourselves to the Lord's way. And so if we're still living our lives based on the way we feel, then we're living our lives as if we are unsaved people without Jesus Christ. But that's the first thing he points out to us. We're going to verse, seven, verse 18. He says, having our understanding darkened, not understanding things the way we ought to. This is kind of an unusual statement here because 
The understanding is darkened. It does not mean that we don't have it. It means that we're not availing ourselves of it. Do you get this idea? Um, if we have the Spirit of God, what does the Spirit of God, in relation to this phrase, darkened, what does the Spirit of God do for us? He illuminates, right? He takes the Scripture and puts light, sheds light on it and makes it make sense for us. That's what the Holy Spirit of God is, one of the reasons he's given to us. So the Bible says that if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're natural men, then we can't understand the things of God. We're natural men. But without, with, with the Spirit of God, we're no longer natural men. We're, if I can say this, supernatural men. Not that we're anything special, but the Spirit of God is something special, right? And he lightens the Word of God for us so that we can understand it. But having the Spirit of God, we're still walking around as if we're in darkness. We have the understanding. It's available to us, but turn the light on. Uh, we're still making decisions without this book, without the understanding that the Word of God gives us. So having our, uh, our understanding darkened, it says, and keep going, being, alien, uh, being alienated from God. Now, this is what it is like for unsaved people. And he's saying this group of people are living like unsaved people, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because, and listen to what it says, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, hear me out. We are living as if God is over there, separated from us. When the Bible says that Jesus will never, what? Leave us, nor forsake us. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, according to Ephesians. We have opportunity, but we're living as if we can't do any of those things. As if God's over there and we're over here and life is separate from God. Unsaved people are alienated from God, but you and I have Christ. And so in Christ, we don't have to live this way. But he's writing to this people in Ephesians saying, don't live this way anymore. Why are you living like you don't have any relationship to God? And it goes on to and he ends that phrase with this, they're this is through ignorance and through the blindness of their heart. In other words, this is by choice. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like uh, if you had a, a, a very rich uh, father. Now let's just assume that you know, there's somebody here that could make that. And so you've inherited hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you're choosing to live your life as if none of that is available to you. So you're still squandering your pennies, getting them together, trying to, you know, meet out a living. And available to you is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, that's by choice, right? It could be because of ignorance, because you're choosing simply to ignore it. Or it could be because of blindness. That in, you, can't, you couldn't figure out how it is that that could change your life. And God is saying to this group of people who are living as if they're unsaved, he says to them, listen, I can make a difference. You need to quit living as if we're alienated from each other. You need to quit living as if I don't matter. Because I can make a difference in your life, and you're choosing to ignore me, or you're choosing to live blinded as if I don't exist in your life. Verse 19 says this, who, being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. And this is the ultimate of this. This is 
this is kind of a scary thing. Remember in the book of Romans chapter 1, it goes through three times it says this phrase or some form of it. It says, God gave them over. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Remember that? The idea is that their heart became hard and cold and indifferent to the things of God. Here God is talking to Christians who are choosing to live their lives as if God is over there and they are over here. And now they are becoming past feeling. You see, used to you'd come to church and the pastor would preach and your heart would be touched and you would be moved and you would fall on your face before God and get some things right. But it's been so long since the Holy Spirit of God has been able to cause you to sense conviction. The songs could be powerful and dynamic. Nothing. The preaching could be right down the line through the word of God. Nothing. Beyond feeling. Living out the Christian life as if the spirit of God has no ability to touch your heart. That's a dangerous place for a Christian to be. These people are Christians, but they're living as if they are not Christians. And the Apostle Paul writes to these these Christians, he says, quit living this way. You don't have to walk this way. There's no benefit to living out the Christian life without the benefit of Christ. And so they're beyond feeling or they're past feeling, unable to sense that God is speaking to them. And because of that, they give themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And if you know those words, lasciviousness and uncleanness, that's sexual sin. Can I just point this out? Our churches are being bombarded by Christians who are losing this battle to the Internet. Losing this battle to the Internet. And what's happening, whether we realize this or not, the reason this is happening is because we've quit feeling the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Sit in front of our computers, the Holy Spirit of God hammering our hearts saying, don't do it, don't do it, conviction should be there. But since we are past feeling, now it's with greediness that we're seeking after the wrong thing. It's a dangerous place for Christians to be. It starts with the way we are walking. And God's going to give us the answer. He's not going to leave us here, but let's uh, keep reading. It says, but you have not so learned Christ, verse 20. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, now he's going to give us the how to walk. First was, don't walk this way. Don't do these things. This makes no sense to your Christian walk. It doesn't help your family. It doesn't help your church. It doesn't help you. This makes no sense. How do we fix this? Pastor, what do I do if I'm beyond feeling? How do, I, how do I get the tenderness toward the things of God back? Well, it starts with a process here in verse 20, 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. The first thing we have to recognize is, even if I don't feel it, you understand? It's not about how I feel anyway. If I'm living my life by the way I feel, that's the way the Gentiles walk. I'm not supposed to walk that way. So even if I don't feel conviction, I know this is wrong. And I'm going to put off, concerning the former conversation, the things that I know I should not do. I'm going to set them aside. I'm going to take them out of my life. 
I'm going to take them out of my schedule. I'm going to quit allowing myself time for those things in my schedule. I'm going to turn away from things that are drawing me that direction, whether it's what I'm watching on television or how I spend my free time or, or the friends that I hang around with. I'm going to change something. I'm going to put off those things. And then I'm going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind, verse 23. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit begin to change the way I think. Because the problem that we have here in the beginning of this is these people are in a habit. And habits are hard to break. But they're in a habit of thinking the wrong way. They're in a habit of following after their feelings. They're in a habit of ignoring God. They're in a habit of seeking after the things that they ought not to do. And so it starts by putting it off, allowing my mind to be changed. I'm now going to begin to allow myself to think biblically. I may not do this very easily, and it may not come as second nature to me, and it may not uh, be something that is natural yet, but I'm going to consciously say, I'm going to think biblically. So the Bible says, this is wrong, I shouldn't do it. I'm going to quit doing it, and I'm going to catch myself. I'm going to think about that particular, I'm going to quit excusing myself. I'm going to quit saying, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. It's something I need to put off. I'm going to quit excusing myself by, well, you know, uh, you know I, I, it's, it's a habit I can break at any time. No, it's not. It's something you need to put off. And I'm going to change the way I think about it. And then the last step, verse 24 says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. So I'm going to put off some behaviors, think about them differently, and put on some new behavior. Now God's going to kind of go through a for instance list. This is not intended to be, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, all encompassing, all right? This is not intended to be exhaustive. It's not like God's saying, this is everything you need to deal with. No, God's just going to give us an example. Here's how this works. And he's going to do this in several ways. So let's just take a look at how God shows us. This is how it works. Verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying and do what? Speak the truth. Don't make this hard. You know, we live in a society that lying is second nature. Lying is second nature to our society. If you don't believe me, then just pay attention to politicians. It's that time of year. Right? If you don't believe me, then just pay attention the next time that somebody is taking you to the grocery and see how they handle things. Pay attention the next time somebody finds some money. Pay attention. We, 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 second nature is lying, or, or lying is second nature to our society. It is. But God says that one of the things we need to change our mind about is the way we communicate. Earlier, he says, but speaking the truth in love, verse 15, you know, that's what we ought to do. But here he says to put away lying and instead to speak the truth. Now, I mentioned in Sunday school, uh, this is really important, all right? Speaking the truth doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to tell everything that you think, all right? If you think my tie's ugly, just keep it to yourself. I don't need to know that. Unless I'm dumb enough to come up and say, hey, how you like my tie? And if you don't like it, tell me so, all right? I mean, I don't want you to lie to me on purpose, but you don't have to speak the truth. Like, I'm going to tell Pastor everything I've ever thought about him. I don't need to know that, all right? I really don't. Uh, but, you know, it, don't lie. Don't lie. Put, put away lying and speak the truth. That's what we ought to be doing. This is God's giving us an example. This is how this 
put off, renew, put on kind of concept. Why, by the way? He goes on to explain it. Why? Because we're members one of another. In other words, it is important that you do this because we're all part of the same body. And what you, when you lie to a brother or sister, you know, you're actually hurting yourself because we're all part of the same body. But go on, verse 26. Be angry and sin not. You know, it, it is a unique concept here. There is a legitimate use for anger. I personally believe that every single emotion that man has is from God and can potentially be used in a righteous way. But man, because we're sinful in nature, we tend to misuse the things that God has given us and use them unrighteously. Jesus got angry, did he not? Overturned the tables of the money changers. Did he sin? No. It is possible to be angry and sin not. So, but what here, here it is. We live in a society. Would you agree? We live in a society that is angry by nature. Have you ever seen so many people get so upset about so little things in your whole life as we have in America? I, I, I don't know the story. I'm going to say this. This is probably not a good thing to say in public, but I was... I went to, the, uh, went to the eye doctor. I was reading the headline of the Johnson County paper, whatever it's called, uh, Johnson County paper this uh, week. It was on Friday. The headline says this. Coach being investigated for verbally abusing players. I'm like, doesn't that describe like every coach in America? I mean, seriously, I'm thinking, what? Investigated for, I don't know, I don't know the details, all right? He may have been way, way over the top, all right? But I'm a pastor, and I got to tell you, you know, I, I do think that a lot of times coaches go way over the top as a pastor and as a father and just as a human being. But I'm just trying to figure out what coach isn't under investigation at this point. And that doesn't even, I, I just was amazed at that. But we live in a society that gets angry at everything. You know, somebody sitting right here in our church had their house shot up this week. Because somebody was mad at the girlfriend that lived in the house next door. Yikes. We live in a society where anger is rampant. And God says to his people, be angry and sin not. Quit flying off the handle. Let anger do what it's supposed to do. What is it supposed to do? You know what? Here's here's what anger is supposed to do. Dad, when you're sitting on the couch, you're tired, you just got home... You're enjoying your nice glass of sweet tea and relaxing, and uh, your son starts acting the way he shouldn't act. Anger is the motivation to get you up off the couch and help you deal with the situation. You understand? And you deal with it righteously. That doesn't mean you go over and beat him up. It might mean you go over and swat his backside a few times. You understand? Anger is the motivation to do righteousness. That's what it's used for. And used rightly, it accomplishes God's work. Used wrongly... Do you know what the Bible says about the wrath of man? The wrath of man worketh not, what? The righteousness of God. There's no way your losing your temper ever turns out to do God's righteousness. Use anger the right way. So he's saying, this is how it looks. Quit walking as if you don't have Christ as your Savior. Quit walking as if Christ isn't making a difference in your life. Put off the things that don't belong there. Renew your thinking and put on the things that do belong. He ends that with let not the sun go down upon your wrath, which quite honestly just means stay current. 
in, in over the years, I've been your pastor for 27 years or so, and over the years, uh, the number of people who have come in to have marriage counseling, if it was something that happened last week, that would be good. If it was something that happened last month, that would still be okay. But what it usually is, is something that started happening three, four, five years ago. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And finally, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, proverbial straw, has fallen. And now this couple's sitting. And if they just stayed current, they never needed to come and see me. Do you understand? They just need to stay current. And that's what God's simply saying. Stay current. Don't misuse the things that God has given. Don't look like we're unsaved people wandering around trying to, you know, trying to avoid talking about Mia's testimony, but wow, what a great testimony that was. You know, Mia's sitting here saying she got, well, I didn't know she was going to say this, by the way. And, uh, you know, she got angry at God. God, why aren't you doing something? Don't use your anger the wrong way. You know, don't, that's the wrong use of anger. And to finally come to the conclusion that I need to quit living as if God doesn't make a difference. He does. God makes a difference in our lives. Quit, quit living as if there's no distinction. Go on, look at verse um, 27. Neither give place to the devil. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says it this way. It says, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Quit making it easy for the devil to have victory in your life. Christian, why are we living as if Jesus Christ, who has defeated the devil, makes no difference for us? What's the matter with this picture? Who's going to look at our lives and say, why should I become a Christian? I can do what you do without Jesus. Right? That's the dangerous part of living as, uh, walking as other Gentiles walk. We ought to be, Christ ought to be making a difference. Put off, renew, put on. Neither give him place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. And so there's a whole lot of steps here. Um, in, in a counseling situation or in talking to parents, uh, we use this phrase a lot, uh, or this verse a lot. Um, as, we're, as you consider a, a tree growing, all right? So here's this tree growing, and it's got all this fruit hanging on it, and uh, you don't like the fruit. The fruit isn't the right kind of fruit. It's not the kind of fruit that you want. And so what we often do as parents is we pick off the fruit. And then we're frustrated when the fruit comes back. Because we didn't really fix the problem, we just picked off the fruit. What we need to do is figure out what the root problem is. And once the root is fixed, then the, pr- the fruit that is produced is different. And so here's the illustration we give. I, I use this in my Bible class at my, the Christian school that I teach at. We put our kids in jail, and we think that everything's hunky-dory. Send your kids to Christian school. They'll dress the way you want them to dress. They'll, by mandate, talk the way you want them to talk. They'll do the things that you want them to do. And you're going to look at the tree and say, wow, look, isn't that tree really good? And we don't really know because they're in jail. So the question is like this. When is a thief no longer a thief? And if you say when he quits stealing, you've missed it. Because when he's in jail, he's not stealing. You let him out of jail and see what he does. 
A thief is no longer a thief when he quits stealing and starts working and works so that he can help others who are in need. Then the thief has been reformed. Do you understand? And for you and I, God says, quit making it so easy on yourselves. Quit taking the easy route. The easy way for our Christianity is not to put ourselves in jail. That doesn't change us into being like Jesus. That simply mandates that we can't not be like Jesus. You understand? Let the kid out of the Christian school and see what he does. And all of a sudden, you begin to see the heart. By the way, it's not just Christian school kids. You can do the same thing with your public school kids. You're grounded. Well, if at the end of the grounding, they're still doing the same behavior, your punishment did nothing. Do you understand? You didn't change the heart. And God says, quit being satisfied with all this outward behavior. God's goal is to change us from the inside out. The idea of this put off, renew, put on, the renew part is what causes the thing to happen internally. I'm going to change the way I think about this. I'm going to let God change me. So I quit being an angry person who simply flies off the handle and I start being a person who uses anger in a godly fashion. So that I, if I was once taking advantage of my boss, now I'm more than taking, I'm more than, than not taking advantage of him. I'm working harder so that I might share with others. I was taking advantage so I could have, I could have. It's all about greed, all about me. But I want God to change my heart so that I can help other people. Keep going. Let me give you another example. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, I tell you all the time, and I'll say it again, every Christian needs to memorize this verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearer. God's desire is that our words encourage, uplift, edify other people. If your words tear down, discourage, and hurt other people, then you're living as if Christ makes no difference in your life. Let, don't walk as Gentiles, other Gentiles walk. Walk as if Christ makes a difference. Change the way you speak, or let God change the way you speak, so that your speech becomes that which is good to the use of edifying and ministering. Keep going. I'm running out of time. Verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Two things that are here. One is that, you know, when you and I live as if the Spirit of God has made no difference, we're out there walking around like we're unsaved people, alienated from God, separated from things of God, past feeling. We are grieving the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is still talking to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He has sealed us till the day of redemption. He's not leaving us till this is complete. And the day of redemption is when we finally look like Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, For now it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we shall see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's that day of redemption, right? When we finally get to see Jesus and we're changed in the image of his son completely. Until that day of redemption, we're sealed. The Holy Spirit is not leaving us. He's with us. But every time we act on our own feelings instead of the word of God, every time we act as if we do not sense the spirit of God convicting us, every time we act as if we're blind and ignorant of the things of God, every time we're acting like we're unsaved people, the spirit of God is grieved. And grieve not that spirit. 
And then he goes on to finish it out with verse 31 and 32. He gives us a final, like a, let me give you this last blast of a list, all right? He says, put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Let it be put away from you. Things that you're supposed to put off. We're supposed to put these things off. Bitterness, can I just talk about bitterness for a moment? You know, bitterness is where somebody does something to you. And your expectation is that God's going to make them pay. And when God doesn't, then you decide you will make them pay on your own. And so you withhold your forgiveness. And you become bitter. I will never forgive you for what you said. I will never forgive you for what you did. And that becomes bitterness. And it's a root that springs up, the Bible says, but it's not long before it permeates our whole life and destroys us from the inside out. We ought not to be doing that. Put it away. Put away wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. All this, all this frustration and noise and uh, the yelling and, and the, uh, all, all the, everything that goes in with it. Put it away and replace it with, look at verse 32. Almost everybody probably has heard of verse 32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is what it looks like to walk, not as other Gentiles walk, but to walk as if Christ makes a difference. What does your walk look like?